whilst he, I'm sure, was intending to try and make as little impact as possible and to slide very easily into our lives, I guess he didn't really succeed. <laughs> and I just liked him too much, um, which was fantastic. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Getting Better Acquainted Replayed. In this strand of the show, I showcase episodes from the first hundred or so episodes of Getting Better Acquainted, which went out in 2011 and 2012. There's a few reasons why I'm reposting these episodes. One of the reasons is that SoundCloud has removed the early episodes from my RSS feed, so you can't get all the way back to Getting Better Acquainted number one on the feed anymore. For a while, that frustrated me. I was kind of upset about it. Nowadays, I feel a little bit more ambivalent about that. On a personal level, the loss of those episodes from easy access on the internet, I mean, they are still there. They're all streamable and downloadable through SoundCloud, but they're not on the iTunes feed. I don't really mind those disappearing as such, because when I listen back to myself for the first, whoa, I mean at least a hundred, but probably more episodes of Getting Better Acquainted, the person that I hear is somebody that I rarely agree with, who is an incredibly different person to the person that I am now. I've got a different job, I've got a different sense of identity, I think different things about myself, I think very different things about the world. The same goes for my guests, I should imagine. I mean, these episodes that I'm replaying come from 2011 or 2012, so we're really different people. And our thoughts on the things we're talking about will have developed, refined themselves, maybe changed, all sorts of things. This episode is actually made up of two of the first hundred episodes of Getting Better Acquainted. Before the advert for my book is from one episode and then after the advert is from another episode but they're both with the same person. The episodes that I recorded with Louise were some of the episodes which taught me how getting better acquainted could go. They were kind of like therapy for me in some ways. I think you can hear that in these extracts. This episode also does deal quite extensively with experiences of bereavement and feelings and thoughts around death. So just be aware of that when you're going into the episode. Whilst the last few episodes have been replayed episodes of Getting Better Acquainted, I can let you know now that the next couple of episodes are going to be back to the standard format of Getting Better Acquainted. That will happen for a couple of weeks and then I'm going to go into a kind of replayed season focusing on some of the live episodes from Getting Better Acquainted over the years and I'm doing that so that I can have a bit of a break from editing over August because I need to give myself some proper time and proper space to work out how to move house from London to Lancaster and then after August we'll be back to standard episodes and I do already have some episodes in the bank ready for after August. I am recording lots of conversations. It's just that my schedule has not really allowed me over the last couple of weeks to do any editing of new episodes. I've only had time to put together replayed episodes. Because as I said before, he was such a huge influence on me. Mm. I felt like he was still in my mind and very relevant to me. Yeah. And the conversations I was having about him were just conversations I was having about him. I thought about him a lot and talked about him a lot. So it wasn't strange to me. Hello, I'm Dave. I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together. 
better acquainted with Louise. Hello Louise. Hello Dave. <laughs> How did you meet me? I met you through a uh, theatre studies degree at Lancaster University in first year obviously. Yep. In which year? I think it was 2000 wasn't it? We 2000, it 2000 was 2000. And do you, do you remember actually meeting me or do you just know that you must have met me at some point? I don't remember the first day I met you although I can definitely remember you in the rehearsals of the first thing we did. <laughs> why do you remember me from the rehearsals? Oh, why do I remember you? I think there was just this just, uh, gentle entering into my consciousness of, of days. <laughs> As there were probably many people, I don't think you did anything outstandingly bad. What do you do now? That's the question. Interpret it as you will. Mm, good question. Uh, I'm freelance still. I have, for the last couple of years, been doing theatre and education for a company doing workshops in schools. We met at university. Oh, I don't know very much about your life beforehand. Did you have a happy childhood, or what, how would you describe your childhood? Um, yes, I would say I had a happy childhood, definitely. I have amazing memories of my childhood, and I hope my children have as good a childhood as I had, most definitely. What's, what's your, what, what, what's your top, like, your, what's, what stands out as the best memory? Um, I lived in an amazing place in the, in the country in Surrey, in a, in a little village. I guess that was why it was so amazing. So my it was a countryside. Countryside. Our back garden backed onto woodland, which was our playground, and next door but one was a stables oh, with wow. twins who were younger than me. So my my playmates, and we we uh, got up to all sorts of mischief on a on a low scale, low yeah. scale mischief. But I I think even at the time I was aware of how fantastic this was. We lived in this amazing place. And I've been back since, and you look at those houses and go, they must be worth like <laughs> a fair bit of money. And it was an idyllic situation, but when we moved in, it was the old servants' quarters of a big estate house. Okay. So the idea was to invert it only in the eight years that we were there. Was it eight years? Yeah, I think we were there eight years. That never happened at all. But it was the kind of place that our neighbours were really rich, and the neighbours two, you know, three doors down or three properties yeah. down, I should say, also. But ourselves and this family that lived in the stables weren't <laughs> just normal people. But we had this, you know, huge woodland to play in, and just across the road there was the cricket ground of the private school that was oh, okay. a little way away. We used to make dens out of their um, sports mats. How old were you then around. when you moved there? Um, I it was three to eleven, I think it would have okay. been. Okay, because I, I, lived, I lived in the countryside in a small village Three to nine, three to nine. Right, yeah. And then I went to a different place. But well, I know the, what those that's are the like. years to have those, a place yeah. like that, aren't they? I know my my brother was a teenager there, at the same. Uh, I was, yeah. And he didn't like it because you we had to go out. miles to get to his yeah. secondary school. There was no buddy to hang out with. Yeah. Whereas you're right, it's like having a playground oh, yeah. everywhere. Yeah. And there's, there's less worries as well, isn't there? They can send mm. you out, and you can yeah. run around, and they don't have to worry because yeah. you're in the countryside. And everyone knows everybody generally yeah. as well, yeah. which is kind of nice, I think. So you, you lived in the countryside till you were 11? Yeah. And those are your sort of idyllic years? Yeah. Uh, we we moved... So, so my parents got divorced in that time. Okay. Um, which 
kind of obviously comes with less idyllic memories. But I don't, my overriding memories of my childhood are, are really happy. And when I think back, I don't, it takes so much of thinking to think about things that were really hard. That's interesting. I mean, when I think of my childhood, I've, I have a really idyllic possibility to think of. Like I can think of mm. this really idyllic, like you say, like the countryside time, but also even when I was in cities, it seemed like there was this kind of idyllic time with my mm. friends and then this kind of dark time with my family to a certain extent. And um, was the whole of your family time kind of darkish? No, because, well, not, not when I lived in the... Not when I lived in the city, because I had, my, I went to my dad's every other weekend, and that was very okay. nice. So I had, I that that again, I have a idyllic time with him. But then I sort of the other side of it with the divorces and the my stepdad and my mum's divorce and stuff like that. When I, it it seems like the bleakest time and the happiest time in my life happened at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, do you get that kind of feeling or do you just find it hard to think about the negative time? I think my bleak times are, are kind of short bursts of bleakness in the midst of happiness. The problem in our house was that the walls were very thin, so mm. me and my sister could hear every argument or anything going on. And if you've got a sort of separate space for it and you're being sent up to bed, that's quite nice. It's nice to be be a prote- mm. protected from it to a certain extent. It is, extent. yeah, like denial's a great thing. I'm <laughs> <Well, laughs> I'm all for it. I know that's not denial, but sometimes it is good to not know what's going on, isn't it? Yeah, I don't think think it's really, like, it's not the business of children to know what the hell's going on, not till they're adults, and then maybe we can talk to our parents now and and work it out, but it's not really our business to know the complications of adult life when we're kids. It's nicer if you don't have that. That's my feeling. Yeah, I do agree, although I also wonder... To what extent parents are right in thinking, I have to protect my kids from this. Mm, mm. Because I think to a certain extent, kids do know what's going on. Yeah, that's true. Um, and I suspect I, you know, and I look back and there, there were memories of being in that house when I knew something was going on. And in fact, you know, would it be nice if my mum talked to me than didn't? Yes, I guess it would. You know, that what was going on. But then she's got her own yeah. cross to bear or she whatever. Has, she's, she's got, got, her, got own her own situation to, yeah. to deal with. Um, and it's really funny because my mum and I are really, really close now and, and we we talk about, you know, the past and she comes out sometimes with things and she says, oh, it was so awful, I used to do this and that. And she doesn't say she's a bad mother, but it's that kind of thing, like, I'm really nice to do this and it was awful. And I was like, oh, really? I don't remember that at all. And yet I have memories of being the world's worst child. <laughs> I really, I have very, very clear memories of being a horrible kid. Yeah, um, me too. And I feel very ashamed of it. I I did feel very ashamed of it. I think we both did the best we could at, at the time. We had horrible rows for m- many, many years. What, your mum your mom and you? Yeah. I never ran with my dad. Was that after you left? I mean, after you left oh, your that dad's house? house. Um, the house you shared with your dad? Yeah. I, I think we stayed in that house a little while after they split up. Okay. We moved to another amazing idyllic house in the next village, which was temporary, where it got really bad. Obviously, you know, my mum had shattered my world. I don't think I necessarily blamed her, but I took my anger and fear out on her. Okay. Just as I'm sure that sometimes she may have taken her anxiety and fear out of me as well. And it it has been really fascinating talking to my mum and just seeing how different our visions were of that time. Uh, for example, she told me that um, 
she struggled a lot to get food on the table some weeks. And I had no idea, and I had such a fun-filled, like, fulfilled childhood that I couldn't imagine ever going without anything or lacking anything. And when I start to think back, I can remember that the things we did were free. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I went, oh, yeah. There's a lot you can do for free. There's though. a lot you can do for free. And People I, and I feel years. really, really grateful that I had that experience. And I know. And I, I'm sure I'm not going to be a parent that has a lot of money. And it's fantastic to know that I've done that all right. <laughs> well, that's very true. I mean, I find that at the moment, having no, have, I don't have a very high income, but it, I don't think it limits my life very much. And there is, there is some wonderful things you can. I mean, you know, you can you can get by if you can if you can get yeah. by. You're okay. Yeah. When my mum and my stepdad split up, then I did have years of. I mean, I I was very much the counsellor. Like I had to listen to my mum, telling me about her troubles all the time. Mm. And I gotta say, I would have preferred to have had a confrontational relationship than a counselling relationship. But then I think the grass always looks green on the other side, you yeah. know what I mean? I think I had that kind of counselling relationship with my dad. Okay. I think. And I also can recommend the confrontational relationship. It's hard counselling people when, when you're young. Parents. and When you're young and you don't yeah. understand. The way that my mum was as well is that she, she will go completely down on everything. So when she goes completely down, she'll say, she's to blame for everything. But she'll also say you're to blame for everything and she'll say that you know she said mm. many things like about which she didn't mean but she said you know I wish you know all that although all the cliches like wish you'd never bored, been born and men are to blame for everything and you're a terrible child and you're a terrible and all this stuff and it was just something that she said because she was having a bit of a breakdown yeah and you know I wish that she'd been saying that to a therapist maybe or yeah. someone else because I guess she had to say those things, but yeah. they weren't very healthy for me. Yeah, and I think it's the same with my dad. He didn't really have anyone else to tell those things to, and I was there. Yeah. And yeah, that was the hardest thing, I think. Yeah. Kind of looking after my dad. Did you have a good teenage, though, after you moved away? I remember being happy as a teenager. We definitely, we definitely still had lots of rows. I guess I'd gone from being a moody kid to a moody teenager <laughs> <laughs> with no break. But yeah, I loved school. I loved. I had great friends. And again, yeah, lots of happy memories. That's good. My mum had a new partner as well. Mm-hmm. How long? Mm. I have trouble placing history in my... I, I really do my, too, yeah. In my life. Um, they got married when I was 16, summer after GCSEs. So he'd been living with us for a couple of years before that. So again, quite a, an influential time really, kind of 14 to 16. And that changed a lot actually. That changed the whole atmosphere at home really in the way that my mum and I interacted in, the, in a fantastic way, definitely for the best. And I think Chris, my, my stepdad, was one of the biggest influences on my life, certainly. And, and I still see a lot of him in me actually. And I think whilst he, I'm sure was intending to try and make as little impact as possible and to slide very easily into our lives. I guess he didn't really succeed. <laughs> and I just liked him too much, um, which was fantastic. So in a nature-nurture sort of way, you're sort of siding on the nurture there and that he has had yeah. big effects on who you are. Yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely. 
And I think, it, it, yeah, definitely his way of being is very inspirational and I don't really achieve it all the time, although I would like to. What's his way of being? Um, just very, very laid back, very, very laid back. But also kind of just knowing who he is and where he is and what he wants. Centred. Very Yeah, centred, having boundaries, but also throughout that being very, very laid back. But then I think that, that sort of could be a description of you. Yeah, there we well, go. That's interesting. <laughs> I mean, yeah. and certainly that's not the way I was. No. Um, so, well, I don't think anyone's that like that as a teenager. No, but. that's true. Yeah, yeah. But I think I, I definitely he would be a role model in a way that I guess my mum never could because I'm too close to her. It's funny, isn't it? How that yeah. Go. Yeah. So your 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 experience of a step parent is a very positive one. Yes, very positive. That's good to hear. Yeah, they happen. <laughs> they do. And uh, I think most people's, a lot of people's, are. My experience mm. of a step parent was actually initially was very positive. Really. And then it changed. I don't really know why. No one really understands why it just mm. changed. And now I get on with him all right. Actually, my stepdad. Oh, um, that's yeah. weird that it's gone back to. Well, it was a. I kind of there was a kind of moment where he apologised for the way that he behaved in the past, oh. and then we, you know, I think as well he, he split up with my mum when I was still quite young, so there were the but oh, he, yeah. but my little sister he was always in her life, so we've always we've known each other for a long time. We have shared history together, and mm. after the apology sort of happened, we can get to know each other as adults, and I think he's a bit mystified by those oh, really? kind of lost years and why he behaved in those ways and why why anything happened. I think I mean, when you're a child you think adults mm. they they understand, but actually I'm sure that most adults look back at their lives and go, What yeah. the hell happened? Um I mean I'm not sure he would express it in the way that I just did. Yeah. But I think that he feels that. Or at least I like to think that he feels that, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. But you had a very positive um step dad experience, which is nice. And then you went away to university. Yeah. You know, I've always thought of you as a very centred, very confident person. Do you think that's the case? Um, I like to think that I'm centred. I definitely don't think I'm confident. Okay. <laughs> so, no. Well, I think that's the way... I, do, do you think, yeah, probably do, is the way Do you feels. think, or did you think when we were at university, mm. more to the point, that I was confident? I think by the time I went to university, I was quite aware that what people project on their outside is very different from what's in their inside. Ah, okay. I knew that that was certainly the case for me, and so I thought it was probably the case for other people. So, yes, I was aware that you acted like a very confident person, and I, I reckon you probably had confidence in yourself in certain areas. I think I am confident in some ways, yeah. Um, and... You, you were confident in your opinions, <laughs> uh, in that this is definitely what you believe. Yes. I guess if someone were to ask who's more confident, me or you, I would say you. Really? But I I, I'm, said really, you, so I'm, I'm willing to accept you. that that isn't the case. It's interesting. I think as I've got older, I'm less confident in my opinions. Oh, really? Yeah, definitely. Like, almost completely unconfident in my opinions now. I'm not saying I don't express them really confidently, but I, I just think that... Cert- I guess actually I guess my main opinion is that you can't be certain so I'm yes, really confident yes. about that but yeah that's exactly that's the area in which I'm confident <laughs> is that you can't be certain yeah and I'm more than happy to put my hands up and say 
I don't know, or I, I think maybe this, but I'm quite sure that it may be that. I am publishing a book through Unbound. Unbound are a publishing company, which means that they don't publish things that they don't think are good and that they edit and they support their authors. The thing that makes them different from other publishing companies is their half publishing company and half crowdfunding company, which means that the way that the books get published is that people who want to read the books pre-order those books. They can pre-order them as a digital copy or as a hardback, or they can pledge more money to get different kinds of things along with the book that they're pre-ordering. Unbound approached me in December to see if I wanted to adapt my show What About the Men? Mansplaining Masculinity into a book and I said yes please I definitely would like to do that and so that is what I'm doing if you go to the Unbound website and there'll be a link to this in the show notes you can find Mansplaining Masculinity over there and pre-order a copy of that book the way that this book is going to get made is by people like you pre-ordering it and pledging to it and people like you telling other people about it sharing it on social media recommending it to other people those kinds of things you can find out what the book is fully about by reading about it on the page there's a video of me in a purple dress and fedora with my childhood toy dolphin telling you about what the book is about Video is your preferred way to absorb information. But basically, Mansplaining Masculinity is about looking into myself and looking out at culture and thinking about how masculinity is constructed and created and how systematic elements contribute both to the ways that men are hurt by society but also the ways that men hurt other people in society. It is not a book that says that men are the problem. But it is a book that will say that we can be part of the solution. And if you want to get an idea of what it's like before you pledge to it, you can listen to a podcast of the show that it's adapted from on the website mansplainingmasculinity.co.uk. And also there was an episode of BBC Radio 4's Forethought called Liberating Men, which was a reflection on an extension of the show. So listen to those shows, see if you like what you hear, and if you do, then please do support and pledge to make mansplaining masculinity happen. We are getting better acquainted again with Louise. Hello, Louise. Hello. So uh, that, that's officially even better acquainted. Even better acquainted, yeah, that's what I should have said. Even better. That's right. Even better acquainted. You're the editor, Dave. You can do it. I can. Sw- I can swap that around, yeah. but I probably won't. <laughs> I've already asked you in the previous show how you met me, and the answer, if I remember correctly, and I should because I was there, is that we met at university studying mm-hmm. theatre studies. Yeah. The other question that I ask people is, what do you do now? Oh, I wish I could remember what I said. Before. Yeah, it'd be interesting. Um, People can compare, see if you... Yeah, I'm still doing uh, the theatre and education. French shows mainly in primary school. Yeah, not much has changed since when we last spoke, which would have been in the spring. Yeah, it was, I think, the spring. 
Yeah, it's it's all sort of it all it all flows into one really. This this show for me. I mean, I've been recording these shows for a long time, and now they've started to come out. And it that, and then some of the ones that I've recorded more recently, I put out earlier. So it, how it sort of works narratively for me in my life is very confused because I'm I'm putting them out not in a narrative order. So, so I your start getting confused. Been a bit distorted. Yeah, that's right. And when you did you say to me that you put them out in a certain order? Yeah, I do. I try to put them out so that there's a lot of variety, I guess. So I don't want to put two episodes of a similar kind of sounding person or a person okay. of similar interests. So that's my aim. Ah, that's interesting because I got loads off of iTunes together and just listened to them in a higgledy-piggledy order. And then once you'd said that to me, I thought, oh, I should probably start listening to them in order. Ah, uh, well, I, th- I, think, I think that you get something out of it listening to it in order, but you... But hopefully every episode stands alone, so hopefully yeah. hopefully that, that higgledy-piggledy should work. I imagine some people will just sort of look at what they're about and go, oh, I'm interested in that thing, I'll listen to that person, if you see what I mean. Oh, yeah, um, a little tagline. So this is sort of, it's not exactly a first. I have done some second conversations with people. In fact, it's the second one that's happened in this kind of way, which is that there were things in the first conversation that we didn't get to or that were left out that I thought, oh, it would be nice to, nice to follow that up and cover those, those things. Yeah. The difference between the other conversation I recorded, which was a follow-up, and this one, is that with the first one, it was things that I hadn't asked them, that I wanted to ask them. It was two different people. I get them on together. That's Jack and George whenever that goes out. Whereas with this one, I finished the conversation and I was I was very happy with it it was very uh engaging I think mm. and then we talked afterwards and uh you sort of said you said you said it was a little bit like like being in therapy yes <laughs> which I I thought it was it felt a bit like that at the time but when I listened back to it when I was editing it I I was surprised at how much like therapy it was on my side as well I I, I felt like like I'd be really going into some uh therapy type places for myself yeah. as, as well which was interesting when I listened to it again um, and as I said to you I, I wouldn't have listened to it again I don't think because I don't like listening to myself but I thought as we were going to do a part two yeah. maybe it would be a good idea and I was pleasantly surprised that it wasn't as horrific as I thought it would be <laughs> but I did notice myself saying hmm yeah a lot yeah. the second half when we were talking about our childhoods which I think is probably what you were referring to mainly in terms of therapy yeah that's a kind of therapist thing to do isn't it positive like mm, mm. yes go, go <laughs> on is. a lot of the responses that I've had to your episode have been really positive from from listeners and I think the thing that everybody likes very much and I'll say it now and it'll probably it, then it then it'll inhibit you for the rest of the conversation why not is that everyone really <laughs> likes everyone really likes your voice oh. uh, listening to your voice so and, and I, I was finding that too when I was editing it I was like I could really just listen to Louise talk, you know, for, for, for all all the time. Really, it's kind of the vo- kind of voice you want to hear when you're going to sleep, which I think probably bodes well for future children or whatever. Oh yeah, you have a nice that. nice voice to read people's stories, which is. But that's really nice to hear because I don't, and I I know that what the voice that we hear is not the voice that other people hear. Yeah, yeah. Which I find fascinating. Well, I think I hear my own voice much more like it is now because I've heard so much of it in recording now that when I speak, it starts to sound much more like 
in the recordings. Uh, I'm wow, s- so you can hear past what you can I hear to think what other so. people can hear. Yeah, I think so, but I'm, I mean, how can I know? I can never know. Yeah, you'll never I, know. I'll never know. So, apart from saying that it was a bit like therapy, <laughs> you, you also said, oh, I, I realised I, I missed a, a really, really kind of big, big detail out. Yeah. And when you told me what that detail was, I was like, whoa that completely changes and flips the conversation and actually I mean Jen my girlfriend who you also know she knew about that detail when she was listening to it she had the experience of of knowing what you you know so it was a different experience for Mm. her listening to it because she knew about it so Louise what was the big part of (laughs) of your experience that you kind of missed out from the last conversation Um. I laugh because it's it's quite crazy that I should fail to mention this, and it's, it's well, not it's very, the first time. I think it's happened. really interesting that that, yes. we, that people do forget these kind of things. Yeah. I can imagine it happening to most people. Although I wouldn't Lots say I forgot people. it. It was something that I was aware that I hadn't mentioned, and I think I was just about to mention it, and then you asked me a question which kind of took another path, so I, I didn't. And then thought, hmm, I probably should have said that. It's quite interesting that I yeah. that. But the thing that I didn't mention was... Uh, one of the things that featured highly in the last conversation that we had was my stepdad and how he was a, a very good influence on my yeah. life. He died. He's not with us anymore. Yeah. And actually, I, when I listened to it, I noticed that at one point I I used the present tense when referring to Chris. Which is unusual because normally I, I say I talk about him in the past tense, but I'm talking about the past, so it doesn't, it doesn't seem strange and people don't notice. Mm. And when I was at university... At the very end of the first year, I, one of the girls that I was quite good friends with in my kitchen, she asked a question about Chris, and I turned around and said, "Oh, well, he died. He's, he's dead." And she was just horrified because for pretty much a whole year or a whole academic year, I've been talking about him, presumably like he was still there. Yeah. But I guess at that point it was quite fresh because he fresh is probably a bad word to use there. <laughs> but um, fresh in your mind. Fresh in my mind. Quite recent because he died when I was on my year out before university. So when I went to university, because as I said before, he was such a huge influence on me. Mm. I felt like he was still in my mind and very relevant to me. Yeah. And the conversations I was having about him were just conversations I was having about him. I thought about him a lot and talked about him a lot. Um, so it wasn't strange to me that I would no, talk but, about him. So I, mean, I mean, we would all talk about our parents to the people that we went to university with. Yeah. But, but you didn't mention to them that he he passed no. away and I had no idea that I hadn't mentioned it or that it wasn't or that it, it seemed so much like he was still alive like it never even occurred to me that I would need to say it um, and then of course at that point I suddenly thought I've never mentioned that he's not around anymore which in itself is quite huge because it was so recent that he died yeah. his death was a huge thing and a huge very recent thing so that's kind of odd that I didn't mention that I mean, yeah, well, I mean, I guess you didn't, you weren't at that moment wanting to talk to everybody about the yeah. experience of it, I Yeah, guess. and also I think very much so at that point, his influence on my life was very positive. And that actually, I would say, outweighed the sadness of his death at that point. I think probably a little bit naively and I'll maybe I'll explain why I thought it was naive later, but I 
I was just very aware of like that's amazing that he was with us for those years those few years yeah and my mum always said the same as well that we had such fantastic years together and as I said before it was the kind of informative years for me growing up as a teenager when you know a male role model and, and a positive role model is is so important yeah and it it did change me so you know I think that kind of out, outweighed the fact that he wasn't there anymore and I say naively because I remember thinking later in life in more recent years what was I thinking like thinking about my mum yeah because yes she said you know I'm so glad that we had those years and obviously would have rather had had them than never have met him but I didn't quite have a grasp of that age that age would have been 18 hmm. I guess how much more of her life my mum had left ahead of her that should have been spent with Chris yeah and she kind of dawned on me one day like like a kind of a punch in the chest like what a loss that must have been for her yeah because I suppose at that age you know my mum is is old yeah <laughs> I don't know I said that but you know there's a she's getting to that age where it's the the later years of life yeah and it didn't quite occur to me just how many more years there there's were there's a lot of them yeah there's a lot of years left and that's you know more years that I, than I've already lived now. I mean, your mum was probably the age that my dad was when he had me, probably. Or yeah. Something, something, something similar yeah. to that. Yeah, she would have been early 50s. Well, yeah, then my dad was older than her when he had me. Yeah. 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 Crazy. And of course, I never thought she was going to die, you know, soon. Yeah. I know that that's not that old, but I, I just didn't quite think about how many years that there were to be lived without Chris for her. Because for me, of course... Of course, there was the rest of my life without Chris, and that was a very long time. But I didn't quite equate that to how to my mum, I suppose. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, well, I, I think um, if you were very... I mean, it sounds to me like it was a kind of... A bl- a bl- I, I used the word... Well, I just, I'm just going to use the word... A kind of blessed sort of thing for you. Like yeah. That, that, that this person had come, and you'd have this connection. Mm. Yeah, and, and it was kind of really positive. Mm. And so... I can I can understand why the the kind of positivity of knowing him might 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 sort of yeah make you I don't know feel feel in a, an unusual way about about what what yeah. happened and yeah I mean that's the thing one of the things we don't really talk about about death is that everybody responds to it in such different ways mm. that 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 it seems very reasonable in some ways for you to kind of he was so alive in your in your life that he was alive when you were talking about yeah. him to people. Yes. You were in your year out. Yeah. What were you doing in your year so, out? So straight after college, I went travelling for two months. And weirdly, my nana died just before oh. we were due to leave, actually. She'd, she got ill quite quickly um, and got very ill quite quickly. So I went from living at home with my granddad to going to hospital and died in hospital quite mm. soon, which I think was a, a good thing that it was quite quick. So we had to put our trip back her funeral really so not long after that we then went and I was again thinking actually I'm so glad that it happened now and I didn't have to come back and didn't have to be away for her being ill and I got to go and visit her in hospital yeah that would have been over the summer so again I could go and see her quite a lot because I wasn't at college yeah it's funny isn't it to say I'm 
being lucky about someone's death <laughs> but I feel like I'm glad that I got that time and it happened when it did and it, it was convenient for me but that I could be there yeah well there are lots of different ways that death can happen I mean mm. there, there are lucky deaths and unlucky deaths and lucky circumstances yeah, around true. them I mean it, yeah it, it's 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 tricky to negotiate the language isn't it mm. because you don't ever want to yeah. offend anybody or say something that you don't mean we went off traveling out with a friend for two months and Chris was diagnosed with cancer while I was away um, and they didn't tell me that they chose not to tell me and so I came back and the night that I got back they told me about it but it was very it was a very kind of positive thing it was cancer of the esophagus which was very curable and there had been a lot of advances in that area and the doctors were quite hopeful and you know, the treatment was underway. And I don't think I really noticed physically Chris looking ill. It was quite near the start of his treatment, I suppose. So that, you know, that's the way things were. Chris had given up work and my mum had given up work as well. She had quite a stressful, busy job, so she decided to give up her job to, to be with him. And I got a job for the rest of that year working in a residential home. So again, I was living at home for that year and very grateful that I hadn't left university already yeah. and that I was living with them and that was great and because my mum and Chris were around and I was working shift work we would go for days out and stuff and it was a really nice period actually it was you know Chris was very tired and it was hard with the treatment he had chemotherapy so he was you know very tired and suffered a lot with mouth ulcers and, and skin problems and things so that I that was quite hard yeah um, there was a constant reminder of it. But, I, you know, I remember being... It's quite happy times, I guess, being together in that respect. And actually, it wasn't it wasn't that long. I got back from my trip, would have been at the end of October, I suppose, and he died um, in May. So right. it was pretty quick. Yeah. But for most of that time, it was all very hopeful. It was all, right, well, this is the programme, this is what we're doing, and this is what's going to happen next. And then, just kind of towards the very end... I actually, for the first time, took a day off work and to go to a hospital appointment with my mum and Chris, which I've never, I've never been for an appointment before, but I went this time. And the doctor said, we're not going to do radiotherapy. And of course we were, why? And he said, because it's not going to help. And that was, that was that. Which was crazy, because we'd gone into it going, you know, how much has it shrunk by, has it gone it was not what we expected to hear and it was never what we'd been told and I don't mean that to say that we'd been misled but I, they're just, you know it hadn't worked as it was supposed yeah. to so it was a huge shock like not what we were expecting to come away with at all um, I don't know when that was but it wasn't that long he was given however long it was to live and he didn't make it that far mm. um, I guess he just gave up and then that's again I, I had a, a great I was working in a great place that allowed me to take time off and I actually just kind of stopped going to work at the very end and kind of thankfully it did all happen quite quickly my mum and I were looking after Chris at home because he didn't want to go into a hospice and we didn't want that for him either which was fine and, and then it wasn't fine anymore and it was it was unmanageable really we were taking it in turns to be up in, in the night time mm not getting sleep, having to do quite kind of hardcore caring, yeah. I suppose. But it never, 
it never occurred to me at all to, to question this. It wasn't something that I didn't want to do. Mm. It was absolutely what we were going to do. And there was no question. And again, you know, not having to go into work was amazing. That meant that I could be there and help my mum. I also had a, a good friend who had lost her mum not long before who said to me, have you said your goodbyes? Have you said everything you want to say? And I, and I hadn't. It hadn't occurred to me. Even though you know it, it was fairly obvious it hadn't occurred to me to do that and so I did it was just at the right moment because Chris wasn't really with it but he was just with it enough and I I know he heard what I said but I'm just like thank god that person said that thing then and I think that's something that I will probably always say to other people because you know if she hadn't said it I wouldn't have done it you know it's hard to know when's the right time yeah that's what I always worry about but yeah yeah it is if you say it too early then then you're sort of stuck there with the final words and then you've got kind of yeah. Do I say them again or you know, yeah? Do it. And it's kind of just stumping down. Yes, you're not going to last much longer, isn't it? Like that's what yeah, you're saying. Exactly. And that's a really horrible thing to to have to have a conversation about. Really. When I was, because this is interesting, because we actually the we both spoke at a spark an open mic spark mm. event true stories, which was about parents, and you, you told her. A, a, a very wonderful story which didn't record uh, <laughs> yeah. about your stepdad situation and I, and I I I told a story about my my, mm-hmm. my father and it just when you're sort of saying that it, it occurs to me the thing that I missed out the big issue that I missed out of that story mm-hmm. was that when I was uh, I think I was 17 I was trying to work this out recently my dad had a quadruple heart bypass and he went into hospital mm-hmm. and you know, and I don't. I didn't say goodbye. He he, he survived. He survived for. A, he's still alive now. But I didn't say goodbye to him then. Yeah. And if he'd have died then, then I wouldn't have said goodbye. God, that's an even harder thing, though, isn't it? Because if someone's going in for an operation, the hope is they will come out better. Yeah, exactly. So and I so didn't. In yeah, who would goodbye, want to say goodbye? You're, you're facing the fact that they might not. Whereas at least with Chris, we all knew what was happening. But that did you did you think about whether you should say goodbye, or did it not occur to you to do so? I I remember like hugging him and stuff, but I don't think I was. I'm not sure if I was there on the day that he actually went in. Mm. I know that. I mean, because what happened to me was. He, all of, nearly all of my family were in a family wedding in Scotland. Yeah, a lot of them were there. My sister came down on that day and I, basically, I didn't know what to do and I had, I I stayed near my dad because I didn't want to leave. So I didn't go to my sister's, my old, one of my older sister's wedding, uh, Rebecca's wedding. I didn't go to it because I wanted to stay near my dad and then my friend Owen and my other friend Steve kind of I don't know how it happened I can't remember how it happened but they just turned up at my house in the morning and said come on you're going out and they they took me out to the art gallery uh, in Cardiff Not and it wasn't something that they were they're not particularly into yeah. art I'm not even particularly into that kind of art it was just you know all them portraits yeah. Of people, of old, of old, of you know, historical yeah, yeah. portraits. I, I got no relation to it, but 
I mean, I was just sort of standing there in this art gallery, and I just remember being just so pleased that I was doing something. Yeah. And that they... And I don't know... Like, I, I can't ever thank them enough for what they did, yeah. really. And, and it, it shows a real level of emotional maturity yeah, and connection. And they were... 17 they were, isn't that yeah, emotionally exactly. mature. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I, I might have even been younger than 17. Because now we're saying 17, I'm thinking I might have been a bit younger. But but yeah, they would have been only in the year above me, and yeah. and and they. Then I met my sister for lunch in Pizza Express, <laughs> and then we went to a pub and got really drunk and talked about relationships. And my I talked about my girlfriend, yeah. and she talked about her her <laughs> boyfriend, and we had a kind of we're adults finally. You know, we're actually yeah. here's a moment where we're treating each other like adults. Was that like the first time? I think so. Happened? Yeah, because she's much older than me. She's, I mean, what she's she's in her late fifties now. So okay, but quite... is that also your dad's daughter? Yeah, well, you've got that's set, right. We're, they were, okay. we're 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 both his, mm. and we didn't. I don't remember talking about him mm. or anything. Like everything was a distraction. Yeah, and a, and a, a welcome distraction, yeah, a nice the, the right thing to do. Yeah. But yeah, I never said goodbye to him then, and, and and now, I mean, he's a little bit unwell at the moment. Hopefully, that will go away. Mm. But he's, you know, he's eighty-seven now, and he's, as you know, because you know him, yeah. he's 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 older. Like he he looks old for the first time. Really? I think because he's a good eighty-seven. Yeah, he looks good for his age still. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but but I, you can't you can't pretend he's young anymore. Yeah. And I've sort of been worrying about him maybe dying since, well, since I was six yeah. years old and he had a heart attack when I was sharing a bed with him. And that's when he had the heart attack? Yeah. Well, yeah, he must have had the heart attack when he was lying in bed by me and he didn't want to wake me, <gasps> so he got out of bed oh and he God. went through. I don't think he knew he had a heart attack. I think he, had, he yeah. thought he had indigestion because it was a minor heart attack. And yeah. uh, he'd been drinking the night before, he'd been up late drinking, so he thought it was just indigestion and... He was kind of dismissive of the idea that it was a heart attack and wow. stuff. And I sort of woke up and he wasn't there. That was the, the shock moment. Mm. And then from then onwards, I've been aware that he could die. But he hasn't. And I've been very lucky. I mean, really, what happened to you is kind of what my greatest fear, fear was when I was growing up, that yeah. he would die when I was young. And and it's it's really interesting to me that that you you really appreciate the time that you had mm. rather than regretting the time that you lost because that's yeah. what although that's I always think been as, my as time goes on I think I, I regret it more yeah although I don't appreciate it any less no no like. no but but I also am grateful that I was old enough as well to be able to support my mum I suppose and do that and the end of the story was we were looking after him and it was getting harder and harder and we had a Marie Curie nurse that was coming in at, at night at the end and my mum said we may have to go for a hospice because it was getting it was getting crazy. And there was one night when my mum was in bed and I was up with Chris and he hadn't um he wasn't he didn't move very much at this point. He was very, very weak. And he suddenly started coughing and, and um and sat up, which was weird because he didn't wasn't doing that at that point. And you know that it was it was like one o'clock in the morning, two o'clock in the morning. That that scary time where all your senses are heightened. Yeah. Um, and he coughed, and he coughed up 
not nice stuff and he was incontinent and then he just slouched and fell against me and didn't move and I I thought that's it and I didn't know what to do and he wasn't breathing and my mum was asleep and he was leaning against me and for such a long time although I don't know how long it was I thought that was it and then he took a breath and I mean, I don't know. I I feel like there was some kind of departure there. And I don't know how to reconcile that with the fact that he was there again. You know, I don't know biologically, medically, how, you know, what goes on in the body. But that, you know, that's a moment that I will never have anything like again. And it wasn't exactly a nice moment of looking after him. It was absolutely terrifying. Yeah. Um... And I don't know if I've ever told my mum that, actually. It was such a personal thing and such a... You know, I don't know what... Did I imagine that he'd died? I don't know. It was almost like it was it was unreal. Um, and I th- I mentioned in the, the Spark story about, you know, that how my Spark story was about how much I learned from Chris. Yeah. And, you know, that's something I didn't learn. I don't know what went on that night. I think that was the last night that we were on our own before the Marie Curie nurse came. And we were there and we, we knew, we decided that the next day we would talk about it and make a decision about whether we could continue doing this. Because it was obviously emotionally horrific. Yeah, you want to be the person caring for them, but at yeah. the same time you don't want to lose their memory and they don't yeah. want to be a burden to you. Yeah. There's all the, these are all the things I'm, yeah. I'm thinking about at the moment. Yeah, and that's what hospices are for, obviously. You know, yeah. They are great places. But we never had to because he died that night. So that would have been a few nights after the night that I was with him. Like, the relief that we didn't have to make that choice. And it was, again, it was amazing. I think we were both... um, My mum had been up with him a little while. The nurse had woken her up and then they woke me up. And I I just find it amazing how they know. They always know, don't they? Something about the breathing. Yeah. And, like... Yeah, I just find that amazing how they obviously have so much experience. They, I guess they've they seen really, it so many times. You know, yeah, you must get to know the workings of the human body in a way that you and I never will, because yeah. we don't have that kind of contact all the time. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, that's that's right. You're, the Spark story, and the Spark is a, a true storytelling event, mm. and we were at a live mic event in Brixton. The story that you told at Spark was very... I thought very moving and interesting because it was so positive because mm. it was really about the things that you'd learnt from uh, Chris mm, yeah and also I kind of because you, you just you'd, had, you'd spoken to your mum just uh, just yeah, recently about it yeah been down for the weekend stay with her mm. and I'd come from hers to directly to Spark and we were chatting about um, and this is the, how I ended the story was I think, oh, did we have an omelette? No, we had some eggs. And mum came out with, oh, I wish I'd asked Chris how to make an omelette. We used to make <laughs> amazing omelettes. And you would never thought to ask how it was done. Yeah, that's the thing. <laughs> that was, <laughs> there aren't many regrets about, you know, about Chris. But so that was a, that's a nice regret to have. But you never, so you, you guys never asked him how to make an omelette. No. But you did learn a lot of things from him. Yeah. And what 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 sort of things did you learn from him? Um, 
Well, I think I talked last in the last yeah, podcast right. about um, how you know how grounded he was and how laid back he was. So I, I like to think I might have absorbed some of that. Well, I think this is really interesting because if I had to describe you, those are the kind of words I would use: grounded, <laughs> confident, relaxed. That sort of attitude to the yeah. world. I've certainly not always had that, but those are the things that I aim to be. Well, I'm so. sh- well, that's what you said last time. You said, yeah. I'm not actually like that. But that's how you seem to be, I think. Yeah, I think part of... Yeah, and, I, I am. Definitely and it's interesting to me that, this, that, that, you got, that you've absorbed that, because yeah. that's very definitely a nurture thing. Yeah. Because a lot of the time, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a, when I'm thinking about generational things I'm thinking well you know how much is genetics and Mm. how much is not genetics how much can I change and how much is harder to change you know and how much might I pass on to my children and if I had children and how much could I uh, could I change if I was to yeah and and so it's very interesting to me that that one of them do you think you were do you think you had those qualities before you knew Chris well, I don't know if they would have come out in me later, but I don't think I had those qualities before. As I also said last time, yeah. I remember my kind of late childhood, early teenage years being quite tumultuous. So I certainly wouldn't say that I was a, a, a calm, grounded person. I was always very quiet, very shy, like at school and stuff. So I wasn't like a... I wasn't a show-off. Which I suppose could be the opposite, <laughs> but um, yeah, I don't think I was like that. I think it was, yeah. And actually, I think a lot of the things I learned from Chris were kind of by osmosis, not directly taught. Like he was a chef; his first profession was a chef at the Dorchester, but he never taught me to make anything. I can't think of a a single time that he taught me a recipe, or he probably did, but I can't remember it. But I learnt, I guess I was inspired by his, he was quite creative, he was, mm. a, you know, some of this, some of that in the pot kind of cook. because yeah, you're, you're a good cook as well, because I've eaten your food, and I know. Yeah, so I'm not very good at recipes and things. Oh, I hate recipes. And uh, obviously, <laughs> Jen, your girlfriend in my house, cake uh, battles. Yeah, well, she's a she recipe wins. person. Yeah, she's, she's better, and her lemon drizzle cake is better than mine. There you go, it's on there, it's on tape. <laughs> So I don't do recipes, but I, I, I guess I learned from Chris in the, like, have a go and experiment kind of cooking. Yeah. I learned some uh, some useful expressions, like, we were at home one day and I was, I was walking back from the kitchen to the lounge and had some fruit in my hand and I dropped some of it and rolled it under the sofa, so I kind of got down on my hands and knees and looked under the sofa. So, um, and, and Chris said, what are you doing? And I said, I've, I've lost, lost a cherry, cherry just fell under a cherry. And he said... Oh, you've lost your cherry, have you? <laughs> I would have been about 16, I guess, at that yeah. point. And I was like, yeah, I've lost my cherry. And my mum came in and I said, Mum, I've lost my cherry. And um, she and Chris exchanged a look and I gathered that that meant something and I found out what that meant. Yeah. <laughs> he loved uh, he loved winding me up, but especially in that kind of way, if it meant embarrassing me in some way. Well, that's an excellent, that's an excellent one, one to do. You've got to find out somehow. I, I think. <laughs> More than he would have hoped, I think, when yeah, he first start, when he first introduced it. 
<laughs> do you think it changes? Do you think when people, if people listen back to the first interview with you, if they haven't listened to it before, or even if they listen to it again, yeah, do you think it should change anything in the way that they respond to, to what you said or not? Ooh, good question. Um, I don't know. I, I guess you can't help but think about it in a different way, can you? Um, but I remember you saying, I think the question that you asked me that I almost started talking about Chris's death on was you said about when we met in the first year of university, I yeah. seemed quite grounded or yeah. something like that. And I suppose it was because I just had this year where this has happened. So nothing can knock you in a way, because... Again, maybe that's part of it. I mean, because most people, it's really shocking going into university because there's so many new things and they find it really hard. But if you've had a really hard experience, maybe that yeah, I don't know that. about nothing would knock me. But no, yeah, I certainly I'm, I'm sure things knocked things you. Into perspective, doesn't yeah. it? and I I certainly must have grown up a lot in that year. Like that's more than your normal year out, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I don't know. I never had a, had a year out. I've always sort of wished I had, but oh, really? I think a lot of people learn things about themselves if they learn anything at all, and you learn stuff about life. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there was self knowledge in in what you learnt as well, but it was also yes, yeah, I think so. Because I've never had someone close to me die. Uh, my granddad died when I was younger, but I wasn't. I didn't really know him mm. and I was sad at his funeral and I went to Jen's granddad's funeral and I was you know there for her and for her mum and all of that stuff yeah. and that was hard seeing you know kind of grief in people's eyes and not being able to get get it out you know yeah, you can't is, you can't make a joke you can't yeah and and what you were saying about your friends who came and took you to an art gallery, actually, that yeah, it is such a it's a selfless thing to do, isn't it? Because putting yourself in that position with someone who's just lost someone or someone whose you know dad is in the operating theatre is, I think, possibly one of the hardest situations to be in because you you can never say the right thing and you always feel like you said the wrong thing and it's such a hard position to be in. And just I think yeah, I think the thing to be is just to be with people if yeah. they want you there. And you don't have to say anything. I mean, that's the thing. You don't have... It's not It's not like after the death, maybe a year after, maybe they want, might want to talk about it, but you don't pick at yeah. it. Don't pick at it when it's fresh. Do you know what I mean? That's that's a mistake that I think sometimes people make. Like, yeah. That's what I was so glad about, that they didn't pick at it. They just, you know, were with me. I think, when I think about Jen's granddad's funeral, the thing that all of her the thing I'm kind of famous for or the part of the mythology that that they (laughs) that they built around me as all families do is this that there was a piece of cheese and everyone kept cutting this piece of cheese a little bit smaller (laughs) it was after the funeral and you know it was getting ridiculous and it was getting smaller and smaller and no one would have the last piece of cheese and I just grabbed it and shoved it in my mouth and then that was the over that was the end of it but it would have gone on for because you know everyone's so brittle and yeah you know and it was just getting small and you know and it was just getting it was painful to watch this piece of cheese just seemed to I don't know mean a lot more yeah and and popping it popping it in my mouth just uh 
made everyone laugh yeah. and just <laughs> tension went you know whereas if I tried to make a joke that would have been a mistake mm. but uh, it happened organically I yeah. guess but I think that's something I've really learned as well is you know not trying to say the right thing I suppose yes. um, and I, I learned that from being on the other side of it and, and having people trying to say the right thing and I just remember thinking actually I, I feel very sorry for you because it, you must be feeling really bad right now being with me where I am um, so and I you know I guess I I just appreciated their efforts so I don't I try not to worry too much about saying the right thing and in fact that's usually the right thing to I do. mean I always try and say I'm sorry for your loss when it's somebody I don't know very well in a way if I, if I know them well then I can talk to them a yeah. bit, but I think there's a formality that I think is kind of appropriate sometimes people yeah. like that formal yeah and actually thing. sometimes that is the right thing yeah and that, that is also the right thing but it's so hard it's so hard to mm. know what, what, what to say but I mean I've yeah I've, I've never experienced anybody close to me dying but I have always lived with this yeah. shadow of the yeah. fact that my, my dad could die and I think that's something also because having lost Chris all of a sudden I became aware that my mum could disappear as well and when I went to Togo for four months, I remember um, we were on a, a particularly long trip in a bush taxi and just thinking, I hadn't spoken to my mum in a few days probably, and thinking, I, I have no idea if she's okay. And I think maybe I tried to phone her and she hadn't been there. And it was, it was the reverse situation of the worried parent trying to get hold of their child. But suddenly I understood what it must be like for a parent. And, yeah. And it just... And it, that hasn't left me, I think. I'm, I am always aware of the, you know, the potential for this person to disappear on me, which will never... I'll never stop feeling that. No, it's a funny thing. I always think when, when Jen's out late, I'm always really, really worried. Yeah. I can't sleep until she's home because I, I think something terrible has happened to her. But she doesn't have the same experience when I'm out hmm. and uh, like she doesn't worry at all uh, and I always think you know, I wish I could not worry you know because statistically yeah. it's very unlikely yeah, something's going to happen yeah she's just out having a drink or yeah you know that but you still can't help but it. yeah I think I mean maybe you know a lot of it's yeah I mean it's it's not the same as having someone pass away but because I was six when I just you know and he was supposed to be there and he wasn't I kind of always think of that as a kind of you know, that's that that's like I said in the the story. That's the moment that I realised that mm. death existed, yeah. and since then I've not been able to not be worried about people, like you say. Yeah, and I wonder to what extent because I, I don't think it can only be people that have lost or nearly lost someone. I'm sure there are other there are people out there that haven't had that experience, but who are just very worried about it anyway. Yeah, yeah, I think that's but true. But at the same time, it's quite. It's pretty common, isn't it, actually, to yeah. someone, well, death someone, especially is, by our age. That's right. I mean, well, that's what I mean. I, I remember thinking it's strange that, yeah, that I didn't know anyone, that I haven't known anyone that, 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 that died that I've known mm. that's close. I mean, that's, that's... I think the longer it goes on, the, the, the more impact it might have when it happens. You know, when someone yeah. really close to you dies... I mean, this, I worry about this. I worry about this with my family. I worry about the, f the fact that that my dad has got so old that that it's going to be much more of a shock. 
for for everyone because we've we now we assume that he'll live forever. Yeah. Because he, you know, and and and, and yeah, and I don't know how it will, how the fallout will be. I don't, I don't. I mean, I don't want. I don't want to be the kind of person who thinks about what the fallout will be, but I am. I'm the kind of person who sort mm. of yeah wonders about what will happen. And all that. I was reading a thing today with the actress, I can't remember her name, I don't want to belittle her, but who went out with Heath Ledger, who killed himself. And she said after he died, she just, everybody she was with, she would just have to touch their face all the time just to to make sure that they were, you know, just to remind her that they were still alive, you know. Wow. That sounded... I mean, I don't know. Maybe, maybe she's playing up for the journalist. But I mean, that that seemed like a very. I can understand that. Do you know yeah. what I mean? And having the touch of the person is the only thing that can do it. Yeah. Was it a funeral or a cremation or what? A uh, cremation. Cremation. Mm. Yeah, Jen's granddad was a cremation. And I like the idea of scattering the ashes. And yeah. Did you guys do that? Or? Uh, no, we didn't. I think you can't do it everywhere. There's, I think they. I don't know. Is there laws? There probably, probably are laws. Yeah. Do it anywhere, but um, and we talked about this, and we decided that we'd just get a plaque, and we bought a picture actually to remember Chris by, because it was quite expensive yeah. to get the ashes, and not that that person off, but we just thought, it, and we didn't particularly feel it was of great importance. Hmm. So um, they were buried in the um, what's the what's the graveyard called where it's cremated? Crematorium. Crematorium. Thanks. And there was a plaque, and then we bought a picture mm. from Canterbury. I know. I've made that story up. That was I think that was a picture we bought um, to commemorate my dog's death, <laughs> actually, <laughs> because it was when we were looking at universities, and I would have already had my place at university by that point so that would have been uh, Sandy's death I can't remember I think we did the same thing but I can't remember where but else we better this is the interesting thing isn't it like you know we're both I guess I'm nearly 30 you must probably be already 30 yeah and already we can't remember yeah. really significant details about our lives. Yeah, and when they happened. And when they happened, and, 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 yeah. and you don't know what you... You know, you start telling a story and you really think it's definitely true, and then halfway through you're like, oh no, I've yeah, got that completely that wrong. because right, that was... Yeah. I mean, I keep doing... I mean, I keep <laughs> listening back to myself doing that in conversation. Yeah, and actually, probably most people don't realise they said something that's not true because you don't get the chance no, to listen to your own conversation no I mean I, I hope that everyone does it as often as I do <laughs> that would be that's a reassuring yeah, idea because sure the thing that people say is that you should see the body did you see the body yeah I did I think I'm, yeah I must have already done that with my nana so that was the I think at that point I was like you do what <laughs> <laughs> so I'd already had that shock with my nana with Chris my mum said Quite funnily and very true, uh, he just looked weird because he was quite his skin was quite wrinkled, quite leathery. Like he looked like a well-worn person. He he was. He'd gone through a lot. Had a, lots of different experiences in his life. He looked like that kind of yeah. You know, been through a lot kind of guy. And then of course when he was in the coffin, it was very smooth his skin. Wow. Um, and it looked really weird because it wasn't the Chris that we knew. It wasn't we didn't have any wrinkly skin. Um, 
which is really funny and uh, something I think you know Chris would have had a chuckle about. Like, yeah. Oh, finally, I've got no wrinkles. <laughs> um, but it yeah. was really nice. We did the, we planned all the kind of service, and I, I designed a little kind of leaflet thing, like the, with the, the order of service. So it was actually a really nice kind of couple of days that we spent doing that, and it was all very otherworldly. And and um, I, was it Elizabeth the first? Yeah, the first interview was with Elizabeth. Yeah. The lady that died in the shop. In the yes. shop that she worked at, and the weirdest thing being when someone came in. And, wanted to buy something at the till and, and she's like well, can't we there's just someone what, like, someone's died yeah and life goes on and it, that's the really weird thing about it like we were in our little cocoon of our house and of course Chris died in the house yeah. and we weren't even going to a hospital at that point and people were coming to us and yeah, that was the weird thing like, was, was real life continuing and you sort of feel like you're watching yourself a little yeah. bit yeah that's how I mean that's how I remember that's how the day was when my dad was yeah. in, in, the, in, the, in the hospital. Do you think that's what Big Brother feels like? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe. Maybe it's what these interviews feel like. Yeah. I don't know. Well, we'll never know what Big Brother feels like. I can't... We won't be on Big Brother. No, I don't want to be on Big Brother. <laughs> I don't really... I don't think I could make it work for me. <laughs> no. I think I would crack up very, very quickly... All of the worst sides of my personality would come <laughs> right out, like three days in. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> I definitely don't want to be on Big Brother. <laughs> this conversation's taken a, taken a very strange <laughs> direction there, yeah. Let's just... I'm just going to check. Wow, the time. Well... How are we doing? We are doing incredibly well, as in we've, we've, we've spoken for quite a while. We have. Um, I can see the clock. Yeah. It's, it's whizzing by. I'm quite glad that you didn't say it in the first interview. Oh, how come? Because if you say the word death, it makes everybody sad. And you were talking about how yeah. positive he was. And even if, like, even in the Spark story where you were talking about all the positive things you'd learned and, and you, you, you'd, really, you'd really thought about, you know, you, you said some of them today, but you can never replay what you've already done. And so it, it's yeah. never going to be the same as when you did that Spark story. But at that Spark story, you were talking about all the positive things and it was a really lovely story, but it was sad. Because mm. it was about someone who died th- that these lovely things had happened. Yeah. Whereas I think that it wasn't sad in the first conversation. It was very kind of healing. It was like yeah, a kind I of, thought of that, and I, 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 I sort of was was glad in a way. I was really surprised, <laughs> really surprised when you said, "Oh, by the way, uh, <laughs> I didn't mention." Uh, yeah, yeah. Now, but the other, and also, oh, sorry. Oh, well, there's a tendency, I guess, when someone's dead to see the good bits isn't there yeah and I you know I guess I probably do that but I'm also well aware of how much he annoyed me like he was he he wound me up like a brother would (laughs) and it was really annoying he knew how to do that very very well (laughs) but yeah I guess there's something nice about hearing the positive things without it being speaking well of the dead I suppose there's nothing of that in there is there yeah so the last question that I ask people is do you have anything that you'd like to plug telling people you know whether it's saying goodbye or whether it's just telling somebody how you feel about them or about something in that moment and not putting it off I would plug that well that's a great thing to plug and something that's 
certainly crossing my mind a lot at the moment. That's kind of the end of what the story that I told at the Spark ended with as well, mm. really. Because yeah, that's, in a way, one of the things that getting better acquainted is allowing me to do is to ask the questions that I'd never asked my parents about what their lives were like before I was around. I think that's a really important thing to do, to talk to people yeah. while you can. I learnt that lesson when my granddad died, which was a few years after Chris died, which was also amazing because he was in um, a nursing home and we were going to have to make the decision to move him potentially to a different nursing home and I went and said my goodbyes even though he wasn't dying I just thought we had a really nice chat as adults and uh, he said he wanted to go and be with Nana and he wasn't really bothered about hanging around much more and I said yeah good for you that sounds like a great plan it's going to be great and he died that night so I also think sometimes in saying the right thing that allows the right thing to happen Wow. Well, that's a that's an amazing thought to end on. <laughs> um, yeah, it is, isn't it? It's been a, a real pleasure getting even better acquainted with you. <laughs> and you too, Dave. Yeah. And the last thing I say to people is, do you want to say goodbye to the audience? Yeah, goodbye audience. Bye. If you're interested in hearing about masculinity and what patriarchy does to men and to all people, if you go to the Unbound website, and there'll be a link to this in the show notes, you can find Mansplaining Masculinity over there and pre-order a copy of that book. Unbound is a kind of cross between a publishing company and a crowdfunding company, which means that the way that the books get published is that people who want to read the books pre-order those books. They can pre-order them as a digital copy or as a hardback, or they can play 
pledge more money to get different kinds of things along with the book that they're pre-ordering. You can find all of that stuff over on mansplainingmasculinity.co.uk. If you're interested in reading about me and my dad and our relationship and dementia and memory and time and history and politics and love and friendship, check out my essay series, Down to a Sunless Sea, Memories of My Dad. Do please check out The Family Tree at thefamilytreepodcast.co.uk, but also consider becoming a patron and contributing to our Patreon campaign and helping us to make the show because it does cost money to make the show. It certainly costs a lot of time to make the show and we could really do with your support. And even if you don't listen to The Family Tree, consider becoming a patron to The Family Tree because if you listen to Getting Better Acquainted and you like what I do with this show, then a way that you can give something back to me for all of the free content that I've given to you over the years is to support The Family Tree and help that show to grow. And finally, Getting Better Acquainted can be found anywhere that podcasts go to hang out with each other on the internet. It's on Twitter at GBA Podcast. The show's Facebook page is just Getting Better Acquainted. And if you want to email me about the show, you can do that at gbapodcast at gmail.co.uk. If you want to talk to me directly about things that I talk about on the show or about any of my other projects, you can find me on Twitter at GooseFat101. And now it's time to say goodbye. So goodbye, everybody. And remember, there are lots of ways to get better acquainted.